Welcome to a very special series of conversations diving deep into the mindset shift needed for the regenerative transition. Hosted by Emma Chow, friend of the show and active in the regenerative space for a while, she worked with many of the largest food corporations in the world and went on a deep personal regeneration journey, leading, among other things, to a love for cacao. This is the first time we host another voice on the podcast, so I hope you all give her a very warm welcome. Emma, the mic is yours. Thanks, Kuhn. It's great to be back, and this time in the hosting seat. Through six rich conversations with a range of guests, we're exploring the role of the mind. What mindset enables people to serve as regenerative leaders for a radically better food system? What are the common threads across these conversations? Well, we're about to find out. We're looking at regeneration from the inside out. This series is supported by our friends at Stray, who are exploring systemic investing with awe and wonder, as well as our friends at Mustard Seed Trust, who are enabling a transition to a care economy that fosters regenerative food systems. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope the conversations crack the door open for you and invite you to explore new ways of thinking and embodiment towards a regenerative tomorrow. Have you ever Googled regenerative mind? Well, probably not. Doesn't seem like many people have, as it doesn't draw up many results or clear definitions. Now, today we investigate what this phrase means, the regenerative mind, specifically in application to something many of us love, chocolate, and how we can rethink chocolate to be part of creating a regenerative tomorrow. There's lots to explore in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome, everybody, to the show. Today, my wonderful guest is Laurence Tremblay, the co-founder and business manager of an amazing Guatemalan social enterprise called Cacao Source. And she's also the founder of the nonprofit Give Back to the Source, along with a couple other projects that we might get to hear about along our conversation today. Now, Laurence, I'm so happy to have you in our conversation today because I got to meet the Cacao Source team when I was visiting Guatemala in 2022, but you weren't around, so I didn't get to meet you in person. So thank you for coming on today and being part of this exploration and the series of the regenerative mind. So I want to dive right in and ask you what comes to your mind when you hear the phrase regenerative mind? And this can be words, phrases, scenes, feelings, objects, smells, really anything. Hmm. Thank you so much, Emma. Um, it's very interesting because if I'm honest, before this podcast, actually, I never heard about that term. Um, I heard a lot about regeneration, regenerative initiatives, but regenerative mind was, was something new. I even needed to Google and be like, wait, what, what would, how would that apply to our mind? And it really got me to think. Um, and I think it's about improvement. And I think it's what I always love about the term regenerative, especially working with cacao farmers and, and different farmers all around Guatemala, is the improvement side of it. So the, 
the fact that it's not a box to take, it's not organic, you know, organic, it's like it has a box where you take and it has things you need to do. But regenerative is more about the improvement of the soil. So in the mind, I would say it's more about the improvement of the mind. So it's not in mind that you can just take a box and now say, I have a regenerative mind. It's a choice that we do every day of how can we, you know, nurture our mind and and see and feel and think more clear. Um, so as an image, I see kind of a garden in the mind, um, a lush garden, you know, where the smells would be flowers and, and where there's more peace in the mind. Um, so like coming from, let's say, to understand regenerative mind, I try to understand what would a non-regenerative mind look like. And I just imagine a monoculture, you know, of, a, of consumption of the capitalist system. Of, so a mind that really uh, was born in the system of capitalism that, you know, naturally we react to what we see, to marketing advertisement, to uh, just taking, you know, the, the system as it is. And, and that has depleted a lot of our minds throughout, at least throughout my growing up, throughout my, my time being a childhood. And now it's just about really re-nourishing that mind and every day making the choices to, to just, you know, nourish it a bit better. And it doesn't mean to be perfect, but, you know, just a bit better every day. And I think that, that would, that's how I would see a regenerative mind. I love that. And I want to get into the Googling piece in a second. But what I'm hearing is, is about this evolution, evolutionary approach, perhaps, and like belief in there's this unseen potential that keeps unraveling and discovery rather than saying, we know what the answer is, we put it in a box, and let's make a list of things we need to do each time. And thank you for highlighting that this is not a commonly heard or spoken about term. And that's part of the motivation for having these conversations because mindset is becoming more and more part of the dialogue in terms of how do we see transformation in our entire world, including in food and agriculture, of course, but making the implicit explicit. So that's what this is all about. And I'm curious when you Googled regenerative mind, what came up? Did anything come up that had some form of coherence? Not necessary. It says a lot about improvement, uh, but I think it's a new term. So it is not something where it gave me the answer to answer you uh, today in this podcast. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it's just like if we'd have thought of, okay, improvement and, and where would that go and the mindset of it. And, and that's why I kind of, yeah, thought into it. And, and then I was like, okay, let's first thought what would not be regenerative mind, but, but no, it doesn't give you the perfect definition, unfortunately. <laughs> mm, but that's like all things regenerative. There is no clean yeah. cut definition is there. Exactly. So I also loved this visual that you painted a picture of the garden and just describing mm. this flourishing abundant garden that's what I saw in my mind and all these different flowers you're describing and, and sensory experience and I think that is a parallel to regeneration of the ecosystems right and when we're moving from mm. the conventional monocropping highly extractive mechanistic way of farming to one that's working with nature and 
and moving towards abundance through regenerative practices or production methods, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's hugely contrasting that scarcity mindset versus abundance mindset, and and I think what we get as a result in the ecosystems too is that resonating or something you've seen in your own experience definitely like i would like to push it a bit further is if let's say you were doing a regenerative farm uh one of my really good friend is in the middle of desert uh land in guatemala and she tried to to start a regenerative farm out of literally a one of the most degraded farm i've ever seen um it's lots of work, you know, it's not also, you know, we imagine a lush garden and, and it's just a lush garden and it's beautiful. It actually needs to be watered every day. And it, and sometimes you have a pest coming in and sometimes, you know, like it's, it's a lot of work and a lot of discipline. So I would imagine the same with the regenerative mind where it's not just, you know, butterflies and, and flowers. It's also, you know, you, you need to water it, you need to feed it, you need to give compost to it, you need to nurture the soil and, and all of it. So, so I think it also means a lot of discipline, a lot of, you know, waking up early, listening to the needs of it and, and nurturing it in a daily basis. So it's not, as I mentioned, something you can just do a, a checkbox and say, okay, now I want a regenerative mind and that's my action and now I have one. It's really something that you can never give up on and you always need every day to to nurture that mind. Mm, and how, because I've met some people who just seem to have been born thinking and having this sort of mindset and others who have had a moment in their life that has sparked an aha and then others that they can't seem to point on what has led them on this journey or this way of thinking, but it's been more gradual over decades even. So I'm curious for you, how what made you think this way? Hmm. I think, I do think it's a gradual thing. I don't think it's like one from one day to another, or maybe it can, there's always exception, you know? Um, but at least I, I think the world is a metaphor and I've never seen a degraded, soil going to rich you know through a green regenerative soil from one day to another like it's um it's lots of small things in life and a lot of decision making and choices that you take over and over for me i know it started i remember the first time i heard about let's say um nestle i don't know if it's but <laughs> name brand um, but but you know where like you realize wow like there's this chocolate brand that I've eaten like I loved candies when I was young I was completely addicted and and then you realize that this brand that actually you know is encouraging certain um exploitation and of human of nature and and going even further of child slavery and and every time you buy it you're saying yes to that Um, So it's this one decision where it's like, okay, from now on, I don't buy any more of this brand. And it's only one brand, you know, it's not starting and saying from now on, I don't buy anything in the supermarket because pretty much all of it is associated to exploitation in one form to another. Uh, But just starting with one and then you're like, wow, I can do that. Maybe I can do two. And for me, it was like this gradual choice of, when something came in my life that didn't feel an alignment with my values of saying no to it. 
and and not trying to search to change the whole world my, and my whole habit, but really to take one at a time um, until until even today. Actually, I'm, my choices are still not always perfect. It's it's very challenging in this society um, to <laughs> to to be a hundred percent ethical. You know, it's it's almost every choice you. You need to do to find the sourcing, to find where it comes from, what it means, what it encourages. It's very challenging. So for me, it's, it's a very gradual um, process. And the further you are in this process, the more opportunities there is to make impact. So, you know, it's it comes from personal choices until at some point, okay, I say no to this brand, but at this point now I um, we have with my partners a, a cacao um, social enterprise. So now we're not only saying no to something, but we're also offering an alternative. So it's a, it's a long journey. Um, but for on my side, the most important was that every step I take in my journey, it's consolidated. So it's not, um, how can I say that? It's not a huge change happening that at some point you can't live up to it anymore. It's every cho- every choice I make. It's like, okay, how can I consolidate it in my lifestyle? And once it's consolidated, then I can grow and make a new choice. Uh, so it's an extremely long process. Mm, yeah, it's like this continuous unraveling, right? Because we're also learning more and more and once you start to tug that thread oh wow there's so much so many different paths to to dig into and I want to especially for all the listeners out there who don't know cacao source because a couple years ago I'd never heard of it and I was so appreciative of someone in my travels who said if you're going to Guatemala you must check them out and it was part of my own chocolate and cacao learning journey shall we say because as you're highlighting the cacao and chocolate industry today at large is hugely extractive, hugely detrimental to people's well-being. And and there's economic issues in terms of people poorly being paid, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't need to be that way. I used to sit a couple of years ago and, and when I would think about a regenerative future, I would ask myself, I'd be like, are there maybe just some foods that don't exist like they can't exist and is chocolate one of them which I was of course very upset about because (laughs) I too have well I haven't been into candy so much as a kid if we speak about more chocolate that's that was my track and getting into darker and darker chocolates over the years so that was a bit upsetting for me to contemplate a future without (laughs) chocolate so this is genuinely part of my excitement of coming across organizations like Cacao Source that that is showing that more than just being neutral right? And undoing the bad stuff, both for people and for the earth. Chocolate, as we know, if we reimagine it in a fundamental way, can actually be this beautiful force of positive regeneration. And I think that's even the vision statement on on Cacao Source's website. It's something along regeneration through cacao. Like cacao is the tool for regeneration, not just of the earth, but also the social aspect, which is often overlooked. Yeah, um, totally. Uh, for for us, not for us, actually. From like, um, I can I can't own this statement, but cacao is medicine, and and that's why it's bitter. The bitterness is, you know, a sign of this medicine, and it's not only medicine for our health, uh, but it's also medicine for the land. It's an 
incredible um, crop partner uh, tree in an agroforestry system. It, it gives, it's abundant, it's great in agroforestry system. And it's medicinal so socially, like it has, it, it used to be currency, it used to be abundant in, in the literal form of finance, in the literal form of, of society. Um, so, so it has this potential to be regenerative. It has this potential to be a medicine of the land, of the people, of even finance, of everything. And that's for me how it catches my eye because um, I never really thought about cacao much. Um, grow, you know, growing up as a job, I'm from Canada, so of course you don't think about working with cacao trees one day. It's not part of your vision, you know. Um, but I work in social business for almost a decade now. And when I, I learned about cacao a lot, thanks to my part, my business partner, Jordan, um, it, it was this aha moment. I was like, wait, like we can do business and do good for people and do good for nature and do good financially, you know, without being a charity. Um, and just it has, and culturally also, it has, you know, a lot of cultural and, and spiritual weight in, in the medicine of cacao. So it had this like kind of wholesome, holistic, which is a bit what regeneration is. It's this like full circle, this cycle that you want to build. Um, so for me, it was kind of this plan that, that completed the model I was trying to build with social business. And now I'm trying to extract this model and bring it in through other types of products and other types of business models. But Kekao was really the one that, that yeah, brought me to the um, realization that it's possible to have a business and do good and do good, not only environmentally, but in all aspects. And how, when you and your partners were originally designing the business model and structure of Cacao Source, which I'd love to go into a little bit more, what informed your decision making? Like, were you looking at specific frameworks or teachers, teachings, permaculture, I think, which has been part of, you know, your past? What informed that? So I'm completely passionate uh, with permaculture. But if I'm honest, there's like one secret truth is that I have a horrible green thumb. Um, I'm not, <laughs> I love digging holes. I love like helping out uh, with my friends. Most of my best friends are leaders in permaculture. And I try to do my garden at home and it just doesn't work, you know, and, and I get it all. Like I get the system, I you know, but I, I think there's a magical thing of being able to work with the earth. Um, but for me, permaculture has been amazing in, in business because it's, it's a system and it has principles, it has ethics, designs. And, and what I wanted to see is, okay, I don't have a green thumb, but I'm, I'm good with building projects. So, so let's see if I can bring all of permaculture into, uh, the business world because, it's a system. The business world is a system. You know, business plans that are taught in university are systems that you follow. And it's, it's quite logical. And it's, but usually it's from A to B. And you have this one point and you want to go to the success point, to the profit gain. And, and that's it. But with permaculture, it's a circular system. So it's from A to B to A. <laughs> and how can you create that cycle and that flow? 
So so that was when I when I got to learn about cacao and got to meet up with my business partners and we were just brainstorming. I was we were like, okay, let's let's try to bring permaculture into cacao source. How can we create a model that completely is an expression of permaculture but it's in the business and and that was kind of a a tryout um we really went blindly into it um but now it's been almost four years and a half that we have cacao source and it's been amazing it's been an amazing journey it has grown we started without investment without any loans nothing um, and we're still without any loans debts or anything and we don't have any ex- um, outside investors in cacao sorts itself. Um, and it really grew naturally, actually. And that's been amazing to witness and, and to kind of see the fruits, you know, collect the yields is one of the principles. And and it's been a, from the f- day one, we've been collecting yields and it's been amazing. And we've been able to share these yields with everyone involved, with the farmers, the women's collective, um, and the, the cacao source team, which now we're 10 of us, um, multicultural, so from indigenous to Latinos to foreigners, all in one team, uh, sharing the management and the decision making. Mm, thank you for laying that out. And it totally is, right? It's moving, it's that seeing everything as a system and seeing the interconnection between the different parts. And so, with Cacao Source, can you explain a bit about how do you actually work? with farmers because most chocolate that we might have in our kitchen shelves right now is cacao is a commodity um, which is hugely opposite to how you work with farmers it's not aggregated from hundreds thousands of farmers it's single origin can you just explain how that works and also you spoke about the women's collectives what is that relationships what role do they have as cacao source ecosystem Hmm. Uh, let's start with the farmers. So at the level of the farmers, single origin comes from the fact that every single um, source of our cacao comes from a certain earth. So actually, when you look into cacao, the palette of taste of cacao is even uh, more developed than the wine one. So you mentioned when we start working with the roi, which uh, the earth affects the taste, the energy of the cacao. Uh, so we never split, we never mix the cacao. So, and when we say we don't mix the cacao, because we often see single origin in some projects, but they single origin that is uh, from Philippines, from Guatemala, from Mm -hmm. Peru, but a single origin can't be from a country. You know, there's so many earth and different climate within one country. So we, we don't mix within the farms. So we work in three different regions of Guatemala with six different producers and we never mix the producers. We do have exceptions where we, let's say, there's a lot of, because we work with small-scale locally-owned farms. So there's a lot of farmers that only have a parcella. A parcella is like a small piece of land. Um, so it's it's so small that it can't produce enough probably to, to have, you know, a, a full uh, origin of cacao. So let's say in the... Um, origin of Lulala, which is in Nankin from the project of Tuk Tuk Dal, they work with 53 small-scale farmers, but they're all from the region of uh, Nankin. 
So in this case, it's different farmers, but all from the same region and pretty much the same earth. So this is the most extended we go when with the single origin. If not, it's small families. So let's say we have an origin in El Cedro, which is in Livingston, and it's just one small family in a village about one hour from the Rio Dose, and then a, like our canoe ride to bring the cacao to the closest boat who finally come to us. Um, so it's all small-scale, locally-owned farm, single origin, and then we try as much as possible to be part of the process of how much is the wet cacao bought from the farmers. So to ensure also that the money goes to the to the producers themselves. So to meet the producers, know them, visit them on a regular basis, and work with them. So there's if let's say the Lankin project, uh, we're settled in Nakatitan. Nankin is about 10 hours from Nakatitan. It's one of the origin which we can't support as much as we want because we can't visit them as regularly as we want. So in this case, we work with the regenerative center and then we pay an extra um, amount for every bag we buy from the producers to go into a social project led by the regenerative center. So then we make sure that they also receive that support that we give in the farms that are closer to us. And the same we're doing with the origin in Isabel, which is even further away from us. Uh, we work with an NGO called Contour Line. They're amazing. They've planted over a million trees across Guatemala. Um, and the, a portion of the amount we give to the farmers also go to the NGO. So we pay a bit more than what we would pay the farmer. And then we can continue to support that social work that the NGO is doing. Uh, and then the third one is in the region of Suchitepeques, which is very close by the Lake Catitan. So the Suchitepeques farm we visit very regularly. We always try to bring different capacity building. We try to develop with them um, inclusive relationship that is from ecotourism to capacity building to just developing that trust and that relationship and really deepening it and, and collaborating in the and hearing and listening to what they have to say and what are their needs and what they want and, and really including them in the growth of cacao source. Uh, so this is the part of the farmers. Uh, for us, it was very important to work with farmers that are not necessarily established. That also comes with challenges, if I'm honest, um, because they're, some of them were not organic when we met them and they were not established and um and sometimes we, yeah, we look up to, you know, there's other cacao project doing amazing things that works with established collective of farmers. And it looks so simple and they still offer everything we offer, you know, the quality cacao and all of that. And, and it's, it's, it looks more simple, but for us, we, and we did consider it, you know, um, but for us, it, it always comes back to uh, actually, no, we, we want to work with some projects that are less established so then we can have more of an impact. So really that regenerative mindset. So people that are, hasn't checked the box yet of, okay, I'm organic, I'm doing all these things, I have certifications, but rather farmers that want to improve. And that was important in our concept of, okay, let's work with those who want to improve and sometimes they change their mind and sometimes they're like, actually, we don't want any more support and we're happy how we are and we want to use chemicals and, and it hurts a bit. Um, but we're in Guatemala and there's an agriculture culture here and, and we also need to, to move with it and, 
and to work with it um, from from the start, you know, from where the mindset is not open to change and, and to see if there's an openness. As soon as we see a small door open, we try to jump in it and be like, okay, there's, you know, that farmer has has the door open and wants to make change. So let's work with that farmer. Um, yeah, but it's been mm. a journey. It's not perfect. I think regeneration, my biggest learning is it's not perfect. Yeah, um, I'm not trying to strive towards perfection, right? Because there, there is no exactly. single rendering of that either because every place is different. Even these these different farming regions that you're, or farm plots, right? Some of them quite small that you're sourcing from are hugely distinct to the point that they render cacao um, that tastes completely different. You know, of mm -hmm. course, it all tastes like cacao, but there's, there's the different flavor profiles and palettes that you're speaking about. And that's because of the soil and the plants around it and the flavors of the fruits around it and the coffee and everything. So it's, there's something about this connection with place in a deep way and not just at a country level, right? But at a yeah. plot by plot, it's all different. And how exactly. do we honor that uniqueness and the people who are tending to that? land and listen to them in a deep way so those farmers are they all indigenous most and it's a very interesting um how can i say that um question in a way because it's if you go in in the pacific coast of guatemala most farmers do not consider themselves the indigenous they'll be indigenous descendant but Guatemala has a, a very strong history and, and a very deep one. Um, so there's, you know, there's lots of hardship in the history. A lot of people were moved from their lands, uh, brought into fincas. Fincas are large scale farms. And, and, you know, they grew up now through a few generations where their ancestors didn't live. Uh, and a lot of these farmers won't necessarily consider themselves indigenous and, and I think sometimes, especially in in the like uh, part of our cacao is sold as ceremonial cacao, and and we see farmers, you know, we I don't know, there's a romantic people has a romanticization around cacao farmers, which most of farmers are Catholic or evangelist. Uh, Guatemala is an extremely religious country, and on the coast where most big fincas are most of the farmers see themselves as latinos because also there's been lots of mix within the years of the yeah of the spanish spaniards or uh germans coming in uh the country and so it's a, it's inter it's an interesting um uh question most foreigners that would come in and go to the farms would say yes they're indigenous they do seem and they do look indigenous um, but it's it's a personal question for every farmers in the Lankin region and Ataverapas. Most of them do are indigenous, so they do uh, consider themselves indigenous, and some of the practice are still there. Um, the language is still there. Actually, when we go, we usually have a translator uh, from Spanish to to Quechi, uh, because because most farmers don't speak Spanish. Um, but then again, when it comes to traditions of, of the Mayan indigenous culture, it's also a tricky question because it's not well seen in most 
communities to practice um, indigenous culture. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good question. Um, but yeah, all, I would say all of the farmers we work with right now are from uh, Mayan indigenous descendants. Mm. So something in their ancestral lineage does have this connection, inherent connection with cacao, which, as you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, is a medicine, right? And cacao itself is translates into food of the gods. So I was curious to see, yeah, see like that ancestral healing line as well, how that traces um, a through lot, the farmers. Like- in that point, it's it's interesting because some of it is also still kept secret. Um, so let's say we had a farmer that told us that his father would have him do a ceremony when they plant the cacao, but he wouldn't tell us what the ceremony is or he wouldn't go further into it. He's like, oh, no, I can't share about that. So also a lot of the of the culture and traditions, some of them are still there, but they're just not spoken up. Or they're like gonna be at night at like two a.m. You know, you're gonna start hearing um, something happening in in the in the busk in the woods. Um, but yeah, it's still something unspoken, and I feel that these questions often I I like when they're answered by the farmers themselves. You know, are you indigenous? Is that do you consider yourself or do you practice? I think it's it's the ones that should be answered by the community themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and then I want to give a bit of space for the women who you work with too, because a lot of this, the of the story of cacao source and the impact, it's having incredible effects on women in the communities, both in the processing of the cacao when it gets to San Marcos, but then also at the kind of in the journey between. Can you speak a bit about who these women are who you work with and what what that has been like? So we work with seven women's collective in San Marcos de Laguna and Lake Atitlan. And how we work is usually we connect with the leader. And most of the leaders we've connected, or pre- all of the leaders, if I can say, were not, uh, didn't know how to process cacao. So we, more, we were more looking for threats than someone who knew the work of the cacao. Um, and then once we found these leaders, we would train them to process the cacao and explain the whole, like, how do you roast? How do you, where can you go grind the cacao, the peeling and all the, we would walk them through the process and then they would start leading a team. So they would work with their neighbors, some family members, some single woman, um, women in need of work. And, and then they would process all of, the cacao of cacao source. So the ideal is it's very easy to process cacao. Um, there's industries in Guatemala City where we could send our cacao beans and they would do the whole process with it for us with all the license and make our life probably much easier, if I'm honest. But then where would the money go? So it would go in the hand of one person probably and maybe few employees, but not really in, in the hands of the communities. So the goal with the Women's Collective is how can we ensure that all the incomes we generate with Cacao Source goes back to the community, uh, especially the local community of Guatemala from rural areas. 
So that's how we started working with the Women's Collective. Um, so the women's are doing the heart of the work, really. Um, the whole process, hand peeling every single cacao by hand, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of heart um, and, and a huge, huge part of what we do. They're part of the team. Um, they're part of the vision of the project. We sit with them. We create uh, meetings once a month with all the women and brainstorm and share. And we bring our vision in. Sometimes they're happy. Sometimes they're not happy. It's a very, very human uh, project. So the more people we work with, also the more human challenges comes in. And it's been a journey to go through it, especially of the, we're different cultures. Our team is also extremely multicultural. So, so it's been a nice process, a not perfect one once again. So sometimes we do mistakes. Sometimes we think we are doing something right. And we're like, actually, no, we want to change that. Um, after hearing feedbacks and growing. So we grow as the women grow. So I said we're, we're offering capacity building, but they're also uh, inputting a lot in Cacao Source and, and helping us grow a lot. So it's a definitely two-way relation. And the goal was to have them independent. So for example, uh, probably our biggest success, in my personal belief, is one the first women collective uh, we started working with. Uh, now sh- her sister went to the U.S. and with her sister, she started her own brand of cacao, Maya Moon Cacao. And this is amazing. Like, And she still worked with us. She still processed some of our cacao when she has time and her own project let, you know, have, have been completed and she has some more space. But it's Really, the vision of Cacao Source is how can all of the groups we work with that are completely independent, the farmers and the women, we don't have any uh, contract with them that say they can only work with us. Um, when they become independent, and not only independent in a way where they go work with other projects, but independent where they created their own project and where they're their own boss now. And they're, they're yeah, they have like the ownership of a project. They slowly you know go by themselves and i hope one day actually that collective stop working with us because she has enough work with her own project and and can go on and then we can train a new collective and we can keep going like this um so that's been amazing to see that progress and definitely learning experience for everyone in our team and probably also for the women's collective of having that collaboration that is always evolving it sounds a lot like so much of this is is for you as a team, especially building that value system to appreciate learning mm-hmm. and leaning into that process because it is, as you're describing, a big process. And it's one thing to shy away from it and say, this is our plan. This is how we're going to do things and, and off we go and really not look back. And it's another to take everything step by step and build in those moments to look at things critically to name where have what could we have done better as you were saying Mm -hmm. and there's something that I'm hearing as you speak around the ownership and the distribution of power Mm -hmm. which typically you know in, in the world we're in it's often very centralized and very hierarchical and in what you're describing it sounds much more distributed and nodal to the point where 
you celebrate someone in the collective innovating and coming up with their own business in a very entrepreneurial way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. And in the team itself, so in the permaculture model there, in the ethics, they're the fair share. And for us, it's been very, very important to follow this ethics. So in the team of Cacao Source itself, my salary is not the highest one. <laughs> um, and we're talking a difference of 115 probably dollars. I'm trying to do the translation uh, translation in dollars uh, with the management team that are composed of indigenous and Latinos. We pretty much have all the same salary. Um in the Guatemalan salary system so mm -hmm. that we are foreigner, Latinos, Latinos, when I refer to Latinos, I mean people from Guatemala City and indigenous, I mean people that still speak the indigenous language and are from an indigenous community. Uh, we, we split salaries depending of hours of work and responsibilities and experience a tiny bit. So usually after a year, we raise the salary of like $100 a month, you know, something like that. Um, but if not, everyone is on equal salary. So that's, let's say, our three main managers of Cacao Source. We have one that is from Europe, one that is from Guatemala City, and one that is from San Juana Laguna. And the three of them have the exact same salary, uh, which is almost non like it, it's not happening in Guatemala this way so it's we're very proud of it and we want to keep it this way um because I feel that should be the future um so so yeah it's been a, a journey also for as a foreigner in Guatemala to let go of certain comfort to be able to live and have the integrity with this um model uh, but that also means less traveling. That means, you know, thinking twice before going to the restaurant and things like that. But that's also the reality of most people in the country I decided to live in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow, it's it's super interesting. And just coming cause through our discussion now, we've been going in all sorts of different areas, which has been so good. And I want to come back to the reserve mind and this mm -hmm. piece of mindset, which so clearly is underpinning and affects every aspect of your work and what cacao source is. But how important do you think the mind slash mindset is in evolving our current food and agriculture systems? Do you think, A, do you, do you think it's important or not? And B, do we focus enough even on it? Mm. I think it's everything, if I'm honest, um, in the way that a, the, the growth of our agricultural system and of businesses and the way we work in life, I'll, I'll start with the choices we make. And the choices we make is completely in relation to the mindset we have. Uh, so I don't think we could really see change in this world if the mindset don't change. Um, and what was the second question? Sorry. Well, do you think we focus on it enough? Mm. Yeah. Good question. Um, I think it really depends from, from where we're from and, and 
what path we take. If you, I come from public schools from Canada, so so no, <laughs> I don't think we do. I think there's been a lot of uh, growth in that field in the last years. Um, when I speak with some family members that work in the education system, I, I feel they brought more diversity in, in the school system and and what is prioritized in a society. But I think it's just the beginning. And, and there's a lot of it that is very scary to explore as a society, because that would mean um, letting go of certain comfort. Um, I don't believe we pay enough for food. I don't, and I don't think it's a privilege to pay more for food. I feel it's a, it's a choice and certain food give more nutrients. So then it's choosing nutrients, nutrient food over quantity of food. And if you, you know, eat less, but better, you need less food. So actually financially it comes back to a similar amount you need to pay for the month. Um, so, so I think it's very, it's a very scary road to take as a society to really look into it and really like question our mindset, question our choices, question our growth, where we want to grow towards, you know, do we want to find technological solution to keep doing monoculture, um, bringing more GMO in, bringing, you know, to keep having huge production for minimal cost, or do we want to change that? Because when you look at the farming system, it's not working. Like it's, it's not working anymore. Um, you look in India, there's a huge crisis with suicides of the farmers because they lost hope in the system. You look at Guatemala, and there's a huge immigration towards America because they also lost hope in the system. Um, so I think we're at the point where we need to take care of our farmers and we need to start valuing the work they do if we want to continue to eat well. And nourishment of the mindset is also nourishment through food. Everything is connected. Having healthy, good, nutrient food really helps a good mindset. Uh, you know, if we feed well our body, our mind, it's happier. We can also then make better choices. So everything is connected and it's where to start. And are we ready to start? I love that. I also love the direct connection literally between the gut microbiome and the brain, right? That there's a connection and growing evidence. And I know other conversations in this podcast series that listeners can go tune into to learn more about that. But as you say, it's there's a lot of a lot at risk to the current system if we dig into this area in a big way because it entails uprooting entire belief systems, right? Rather than saying my food is for my calories and volume, I say my food is to fuel my body and give me high quality nutrition and bring life into my body. That's a very different that's going to lead to very different outcomes in what I put in my shopping basket and put my dollars to and that value of food piece that you're highlighting. So yeah, I'm with you and all of that. And you're speaking a bit about education and I, like you, grew up in Canada and in the public school system and nothing really was ever highlighting the mindset and the inner capacity side of things. But I want you to speak a bit about the nonprofit and give back to the source because I know in one of our calls before this live conversation, um, you're speaking about an upcoming project which is all about education. It's a school. So tell us a bit about that. And I'm curious, will there be anything that focuses on the inner world as well as the outer world? 
Hmm. That's a very good um, <laughs> direction. Um, <laughs> so, so when we started working with Cacao Source, it's we pay well the farmers, like much above the fair trade price, which I don't believe is a good price. Uh, but I also don't believe what we pay our farmers is a good price. But we live in a market um, where everyone wants the cheapest out of and have the most for the cheapest, you know. And beyond the fact that we pay above the fair trade price, it's really to look at the farmers and say, can they go out of poverty with the payment we give them? Because the fair trade price in Guatemala, farmers can't go out of poverty with it, especially in our days where diseases and pests are increasing. And every year they lose a, a like larger percentage of the harvest due to these diseases and pests. So what can we do, you know? And we're already paying so much and we're probably one of the most expensive cacao in the market right now um, without any profit gain on the, on the shareholders. So we never touch any profit and everything goes back to the community or the growth of the impact of the project. So what do we do, you know, as a, as a company, knowing that, yes, we're supporting the farmers more than most um, project in in the region, but in my belief, still not enough to have a true impact and and to really see that independence I spoke about from the women's collective, where they could, yeah, like um, start uh, being a, you know start their own entrepreneurial journey and and get out of of poverty uh, by themselves without you know outside foreign help. And that's what we want to see with the farmers. So, so after two years, I believe, of working with Cacao Source of developing the project, that's where we decided to open the, the NGO gift back to the source. At first, we looked for an NGO where we could just donate part of our profit, but there was not necessarily one NGO working in the region of Suchtepeque, where most of our farms are. And they were not, you know, every, you know, like you have an idol of, of, of the needs, let's say after a few years of working in, in the fields, you, you see certain needs and, and we couldn't find really that project that, that answered directly these needs we would see. So with Give Back to the Source, the idea was really, okay, let's, let's jump in and let's create a project that not only supports local farming communities, um, women empowerment and so on, but also that connects with consumers because our biggest challenge with cacao source is not necessarily on the local side here in Guatemala, where we put most of our energy, but more on the international side of understanding the value of food. So if you don't pay for your, if you don't pay the right amount for your food, someone else pay. And then the question is who does? And most often it's the farmers. So people see a discount at the supermarket and they're like, yes, only a dollar for that chocolate bar. But that just means that the farmer got less, you know, it's not the big company that will have less food, that less um, income. So with the NGO, the goal is, you know, give back to the source. So it's really closing that cycle and empowering consumers and businesses to close that, to take that responsibility of closing that cycle. Um, so to give back to the rural community and then with this income, with these donations, we're able to work directly in the rural communities. Uh, so far, we've worked with a group of indigenous women in capacity building using bamboo as a material. So they've learned bamboo artisanal during a one month training. And we're about to build a center, a co-artisan center. 
So the goal is really to collaborate with women, include women in the regenerative movement so that they bring value into regenerative yields of their local environment. Uh, So this brings more value to the organic regenerative yields. So then it, you know, it brings a market to it. So farmers also, farmers, you know, it's, to be a farmer, you need to be an opportunist. You need to see where there's a market. If not, you can't survive. Uh, so a lot of farmers, when they see there's no more market, they cut down their yield and they plant a new one. Uh, so what we want to see is to start valuing the regenerative yields or organic yields. So then farmers see an opportunity in it. So they want to join that movement um, because they don't have the privilege to just be like, let's try an agroforestry system and give it a try because they need to bring food to the table of their kids. Uh, so the NGO was really about, okay, how can we bring more value to these yields? So farmers wants to pursue these yields and how can we include women? Because right now women in most rural Guatemala do not work and they're not involved in the economy of the village. So we're speaking about a huge, le- like, um, a huge level of um, poverty in rural communities of Guatemala and then you notice that women are not involved in the economy. So what if women would be involved in the economy? That's 50% of the population. So the goal is really to involve women and to value regenerative agriculture. Mm. And so with this, so part of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, but part of it is around like this diversification of skills and a, just having skills that can bring women into economic activities. And then what, what, I guess, what's the impact? Like, what do we see happen when money starts to go into women's hands? Well, there's, so that's uh, also in depth um, conversation, especially in Guatemala. With, <laughs> we could have a whole podcast on that. Yeah, exactly. Um, as, yeah, Guatemala has, you know, 36 years of civil war um, in the country where um, abuse against women were in a certain way part of the culture. And this only stopped in 1996, so not that long ago. So a lot of the people we work with was part of, of, of that time. Um, and a culture this big and this impactful th- doesn't go away from one day to another through peace treaty. Uh, so Guatemala is ranking on one of the highest country with uh, femicide, women abuse, and you name it. Uh, I'm a woman. Um, that's definitely a, a cause. It's out of the reg- well, it's part of regeneration in a certain way, but not agriculture one. Um, so it's always also a way for us to work with with that team, which is a hard one. Um, so bringing money in the in the hands of women also means uh, economical empowerment. So if you do not have money and in your household it's not going well, it's very, very hard to get out of it. Most of abuse against women in Guatemala are not going to court, are not, like there's no punishment with it for it. Um, not so long ago, they tried to put a law where um, if a man would rape a woman, the sentence of a woman taking an abortion would be higher than the sentence of the man who raped the woman. So it's a very challenging time to be a woman. And just bringing the 
economical freedom in the hands of the woman can change the future of the kids also, because often women, it's proven that uh, they're most likely to manage the finances for the benefits of the family uh, before men. Of course, there's exceptions. Of course, there's amazing men out there. Um, but there's studies who shows that there's just more impact generally when the money goes in the hands of the women. And then it also allows them the freedom to choose, which for us is very important. Uh, so all the workshops that we're developing right now, the goal is that the women are independent from the NGO, are independent from Cacao Source. So yes, it was an initiative from Cacao Source, but the whole NGO is built for independence of the local community. Uh, so then they can choose with who they want to work, when they want to work, how much they want to work, because they also have needs at home. When we bring economical activities in the hands of women, it's not that they're doing nothing. Women are working extremely, extremely hard from morning to night. So that just means that they're doing one more thing. So it's even more work. So now they're just having more work in their hands uh, because they're going to keep doing the cooking and the cleaning and the dishes and the care for the children. And on top of that, they're going to do the acti economical activity. So that's also something we need to consider when we bring these workshops in and capacity building to ensure that we're not also overworking. But the, on the only challenge right now with the work that the women do is that they're not valued for it, which is the history of, of women, you know, of doing all this housework is that there's no economical value for it. Uh, so we want to bring economical value to the work they do, but we do also understand that they're going to still have to work at home unless the culture starts changing like it did in some of the Western countries. But that's at the own rhythm, you know, of, of the communities. Yes. There's something in that was coming to me just hearing you speak around maybe part of having what we're calling a regenerative mindset is the courage to break cycles, right? You're describing all these deeply entrenched cycles that are very difficult to overcome, but believing that they can be broken and rewritten in a much more positive light. And yeah, belief in that potential and seeing beyond the current reality. And the other piece that was coming to me was the best way to apply the regenerative mindset in the most helpful way of service for society is when there's such a clear uh, vision and mission. Like our whole conversation that's just so clear what the North Star is, like who, who you're serving, where that place is, and everything is just oriented to that. We started with Cacao Source, the business, and now moving into the areas of need that you identified in these communities of focus, and therefore this, this concept of this NGO, which is not a typical concept, right? Having this goal of independence for the community to own, um, emerged from. So I just want to, want to share what was coming through on my side, listening to you speak. Thank you for that. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Now we've dug deep into <laughs> Cacao Source, the nonprofit. And now I know you also have other projects 
You don't need to go in depth, but I'm, can you just share? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> we were talking about diversity and this is part of it, right? This is, this is coming yeah. to me. I was like, is part of it, again, breaking out of the cycles of like, you have one job and that's what you do and you work for one organization and you work nine to five. Yeah. But maybe something different <laughs> is part of having a job mindset. Tell us. For sure. Like first, I need to say the NGO that I built came from also diversifying the um, the channels of cacao source in a way where I'm like, what if happens if the market of cacao crash? Which right now, you know, it's it's. I don't know if you saw it. It's moving a lot. It's getting actually higher than it never did in decades, and it's it's a very uncertain one because of diseases and pests. So I was like, mm -hmm. what if that happens and what will we do with all the communities we work with? And part of the permaculture is really diverse your yield. You know, it's making sure you, you want to create resiliency in the impact you have. So the NGO was also a way to create that resilience in the work we do to ensure that if the market goes down, that the community and the work we do don't only rely on it. And we don't just, okay, goodbye, you know, and then we walk out. Um, and part of it also, so that led us also to our newest, uh, one of our newest project, which is the is Ecoducation, uh, Ecoducacion in Spanish. And it's a school we we have, um, we've been working in partnership with Tropica, which is a new project in, uh, in Chicacao, Suchitepeques. And the owner was generous from the first time we met her. Um, she's the one who donated the land for the Eco Artisan Women's Center. And she's also an investor uh, with her land in that project of the eco-education. And the goal is to create a school um, of pretty much regenerative initiatives, yeah, that comes from natural building to bamboo, cob, adobe, uh, uh, you name it, to going to agroforestry, permaculture, and to cacao research. Because as I said, cacao is going to start facing more and more challenge and we want to be prepared for it. Um, how do we do pest and disease management in the most um, healthy way for the environment and people? So, so we want to go deeper into this. We want to build this school. Uh, we built a business plan about a year or two ago. And ever since, we've been waiting for the right pe person right, or people to come in and, and support that project because it's a, it's a long-term project. It's, for me, probably going to be my life work. Um, and, and yeah, we really want to go deeper into it. We, it's a social enterprise, so it's not going to be an NGO model. Uh, we, we want it to be in a circular economy model. So part of the school will be serving um, diver, diverse people from, from all countries, Guatemala, Latinos, uh, but through courses that are, um, are going to be um, have a cost. And the other half of the year is to train and offer education for the local community in regenerative initiatives. So my partner, for example, works as a bamboo architect. And there's not that many people from Guatemala who knows how to work with bamboo in construction. So part of the school would be to answer that need. So what if we have more people who knows how to build with bamboo? That's a whole new world for Guatemala um, and has a lot of potential. And it's the same with cob and earth building. It was part of Guatemala's culture until there was an earthquake and the houses didn't have foundation. 
but they did, the community didn't relate it to the foundation challenge. It related it to the earth building challenge. And now there's a cultural thought around earth building that it's not sustainable, especially for Guatemala, because there's huge re- risk of earthquake. Not risk, there's a lot of earthquake all year, all year long. And it's very scary to have a, you know, a, a cob house or adobe house because you're afraid that it's going to fall off when there's going to be earthquake. But actually, there's solutions to that. And we can still do natural building, uh, especially now that uh, we're starting to use bamboo, which is extremely flexible. So earth and bamboo works well. And same with permaculture. So when we speak out doing courses, we don't want to give permaculture courses to the community. We want to also identify cultural bridges, which would make more sense to bring certain initiatives to the community. Because if you ask uh, someone who lives on the day to day to learn about permaculture, probably he doesn't want or she doesn't want. Um, It's not a priority. The priority is to bring food at home. But how can we bring this concept and adapt it culturally that it becomes something that is useful and has potential to bring an income for the community? So that's more the direction we're going. So bringing, because we say accessibility and often I work with foreigners, which are like, I bring my offerings accessible. I I give it free for the community, (laughs) but it's not culturally accessible. It's not intellectually accessible. Like it doesn't fit the needs of the community. So most people will never join. So you'll still only have foreigners in the course, even if it's free. Um, so we want to change the, the way of offering these, these courses that it makes sense that it can be used in the day-to-day of someone from Chikekao, uh, or the surrounding farming communities. How can you diversify land? How can you use your small plot of land and, and make an income out of it? Um, and just start brainstorming. But first is really sitting down with the community. Like now I'm just um, assuming some of, of the needs, but uh, a big part of that school will just be sitting down with community and hearing what they have to say and hearing what they want and what they need from what they think they want and they need, that's the most important. Um, and then and then creating courses that answers these needs and desires from the community we work with. All about the context, isn't it? Tailoring, mm-hmm. tailoring to the context. And yeah, again, a parallel to what I've learned in my journey around what does regenerative food production, for instance, look like it looks completely different in place to place, depending on the context. So it's taking that same sort of principle and saying, well, how do we do that for everything? Every sort of mm-hmm. initiative or solution or problem we're trying to solve. Um, Cause it just wouldn't, it would, it would seem in my ears, like almost disrespectful and out of place to just swoop in and be like, here's permaculture. Have you heard of this? <laughs> what it's like for millennia, their ancestors have been doing, applying those principles, but in their own unique language and indigenous ways um, on this land that, that they know and they stand on they're from. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. Um, I want to switch gears and ask my favorite question that I'm asking all my guests, which is if you could do one thing tomorrow to help as many decision makers and investors in food and ag 
develop their inner capacities towards our general mindset, what would you do? Hmm. I think take responsibility. I think that's like the first mindset for everyone who wants to take that path is it all starts by personal responsibility. Um, so if you're an investor, if you're building something, um, what you do counts. And, and if you take responsibility and, and you see a challenge and you're like, I'm also part of that challenge. It's not the system. It's not the others. I'm also contributing to it. How can I change that? And how can I make sure that my money, my time and my ideals go towards the right direction to, to what my values are? Because everyone I meet has amazing values. I, we just don't live up anymore to them. Um, so, so it's just about taking responsibility for that and taking the first step and say, okay, what do I value the most and where am I not living up to that? And, and let's go that way. So something that would trigger these people to take on that responsibility. And yeah, I think that I agree with you. There's been this at large, I feel at least, collective deterioration of even what values are and coming back to that. And I know growing up and coming back to school, I remember in classes we did, now that I think about it, we did talk about like what is character and what, what, how do you behave behind closed doors? How do you hold yourself? And what integrity do you carry? And that's integrity. That's a word that you've mentioned at least once in our conversation. And I love and is one of my own core values. So maybe that's an invitation for all of us to start. Like what even are our core three to five values? Where do I stand? If a funny um, story about that. Uh, when I was probably 20, um, one of my friends called me out on my integrity. And if I'm honest, I love Google, so I Googled it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what is actually integrity? And I never was taught even the word, like what it means. You know, I heard it uh, when I, by when I was 20, but actually I never uh, was taught what was integrity officially. And I needed to Google it. And I was like, wait, like you can live up your actions to the words you say. How amazing is that? And then you feel great inside of you. That sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> I want that. <laughs> yeah, I want, like that feels nice, you know, because when you're out of integrity, you feel it. You know, it's like this ache in the heart and your body and it doesn't feel good. And then you're scared someone will find out that you're not, you, you know, you're out of line. And from that day, that was, I think, you know, when you were asking that aha moment of like something that switched, which starts a path, that was probably one of one of these. But I was like, wow, there's this whole world which I can feel good inside of me because I live in integrity. And that's the path I want to do because it's not nice not feeling good. <laughs> wow. What a moment. I'm so glad you had that friend in your <laughs> life who called you out on that and, and you turned to your friend Google, which we now know you love, me too, um, <laughs> to give all the answers that we think we know but we don't know. Um, and for sure, you know, I hope you feel this way. It's, it's so clear even in your energy and the way that you speak about all of these projects and the alignment, like it's all very connected and aligned from from a place that's much deeper than the rational mind. 
Thank you. So be proud of yourself. Well done. <laughs> I'm, I'm so grateful personally for your work at a selfish level because while we've been speaking, I've been enjoying my cup of ceremonial cacao all the way from Guatemala, which is such a treat. And I think that's a great place for us to end on. So Laurence, thank oh, you thanks. so much for all your time. Um, thank you to the birds in the background that we've been getting to hear <laughs> as well, if, if, if that's not edited out and people get to hear. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much and good luck with all your many projects. Thank you so much. And thanks for the time and even, yeah, like showing interest in what we do. I think that's means a lot. <laughs> we work, we work every day and, and once in a while when, when the work you do is seen, it, it just means, yeah, a lot of like, wow, like, okay, I, something is happening. Um, so thank you so much for taking that time and, and wanting to hear uh, that story and yeah, your appreciation for cacao source and what we do. Um, I'm, I look yeah, forward to, to keep connecting with you, Emma. Of course. I'm glad we could share the stories with, with many new ears of all the listeners today. So thank you. Sweet. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you liked this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.